Hey, Real Talkers. Jaskrat Singh Sidhu is responsible for one of the most horrific collisions in Canadian history. He was handed an eight-year sentence after pleading guilty to dangerous driving causing death and bodily harm in the April 2018 crash that killed 16 members of the Humboldt Broncos Hockey Club and injured 13 others. Now he faces deportation to India. Is that justice served or not? We get into it with Charles Adler today, but first... David Knight Legg, former principal advisor to Premier Jason Kenney, tells us why he thinks Canada blew a big opportunity at COP28. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Welcome to the show on this Monday. We're a week away from Christmas. Jesperson and Hicks in just a second. David Knight Leg, then Charles Adler will join us. We'll cover a lot of ground today. We'll take a look back at COP. We'll talk about Canada's emissions reduction strategy and why, generally speaking, our leadoff guest this morning, former principal advisor to the former premier of Alberta, Jason Kenney, describes it as a failure, quite frankly. He says that Canada's scolding the rest of the world, instead of uh, including India and China, instead of uh, recognizing economic opportunity and doing something meaningful with natural resources, Canada's essentially spinning its tires. We'll get into that. The former president President of the United States making the ridiculous comments about immigrants, quote, poisoning the blood of the United States. Charles Adler, I know, will want to tee up what Donald Trump has to say. And we're going to get into maybe what for some people might be uncomfortable territory today. We're really going to make you think and ask you how you feel about the Canada Border Services Agency recommending that the driver that caused that horrific Humboldt Broncos bus crash, uh, well, that he be deported. He was uh, paroled earlier this year in the CBSA recommending that Jaskarat Singh Sidhu be sent back to India. He wants to stay in Canada. He was a permanent resident. He can still apply to remain on compassionate grounds. Adler's known for his brand of Canadian common sense. I wonder where he'll land on this one. We'll look to our live chat, and of course, I expect that we'll get some emails on that this week as well to talk at ryanjesperson.com. This episode of the show is presented by our friends at Rello, and with a week to go until the holidays, this seems like a perfect time if you're if you're still looking for that gift for somebody in your life that's tough to buy for, but the one thing you know is that they're keen on the idea of a career in real estate. They're dreaming of starting their own new career, being their own boss, maybe unlimited limited earning potential. You can get them started today. What a great and thoughtful Christmas gift to cover their training at Rello.ca. It's Alberta's top real estate school, and they like to support their students every single step of the way, from studying for the exam, getting the license to practice real estate and beyond. Plus, with Rello, you can study 100% online, so it's going to work with your schedule no matter what. And here's the deal. Again, with a week to go until Christmas, with a special promo code exclusively for Real Talkers, you can knock 20% off the cost of a course at Rello.ca. Just use the promo code REALTALK. That's all one word, REALTALK, at Rello.ca. 
David Knight Leg is uh, a name probably most familiar familiar to Albertans for uh, a couple of recent roles. He was principal advisor uh, to Premier Jason Kenney a few years ago, advising uh, the premier on Alberta's tax, economic development, uh, financing, and jobs strategy. He was the CEO for a brief time of Invest Alberta. He's currently working as a strategic advisor to governments, energy, and tech firms through the Fintechs Group in San Francisco as chairman of Elements Advisors, a global fund advisory firm based in Asia. It's been a while since so-called DKL and I have connected. It's nice to see your face again, man. Happy holidays to you. Hey, good to see you. Hey, congrats on 5 million, what is it, downloads or viewers? I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, it was it was 5 million downloads on the podcast and about another 2.5 million on YouTube. So three years in, 7.5, averaging 2.5 a, a year. We're pretty uh, excited about that. Yeah. Where's the other 30 million Canadians? What are they doing? I don't know what that man. We're trying to figure that out every <laughs> single day. What the hell is going on? Maybe we need to buy more billboards. I think that's got to <laughs> no, be it. It has to go viral. You got to start with all the smart people first, and then let it cascade down to the guys that are, uh, you know, watching the other stuff. Yeah, that, that's right. We, we got to start with the decision makers. As we say, it's the show for movers and shakers. Make sure we get all the decision makers uh, appearing on the show and listening to the show and then maybe some lowbrow stuff too. That's the stuff that gets 10 million <laughs> views at a time, right? Well, that's why I'm here. I'm here to bring in the, uh, the lowbrow a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate that. Hey, hey what, what's changed in the world uh, since, you know, when you were advising Kenny in 2019, that was kind of like basically the, the, the beginning of his tenure as Alberta's premier, obviously, uh, kind of swept in and, and formed government. And then the, the province, according to conservatives, people would say corrected itself politically. And, and Kenny obviously yeah. had a, a big mess on his hands right out of the gates, as did many others. COVID kind of comes in. There's huge global economic implications. Um, it feels like an eternity ago, but it was four years ago or so. How much or how dramatically has the change been since then? Look, I, st- I, I think everybody's dealing with some after effects of COVID in their, in their household, probably with friends. And I think that's true institutionally as well. If you look at what's happened with inflation, what happened to supply chains, um, you know, and actually the climate energy economy debate that we're having right now is tied into that, you know, through COVID you had a dramatic reduction in global emissions because you had a dramatic reduction in economic uh, momentum. And now that uh, now the economy's back, you're seeing, you know, the highest levels of coal, gas and uh, and oil use ever uh, this past year. And COP28 took place in uh, with that backdrop. And um, so I think I think a lot's changed. I think. Um, you know, I think we're we're dealing with some of the after effects of that, but I think we also have to look forward and figure out what we can do in the world. And Alberta has got this extraordinary potential. Canada has this extraordinary potential to do so much. We could be the first nation that's complete completely carbon neutral because of just how unique Canada is in the world in terms of our location, our trade relationships, the advantages of being the fourth largest gas producer in the planet the advantages of having some of the best technology for CCUS, carbon capture, clean tech, and my, you know, sort of fingers crossed that we become the global leader in small modular nuclear as well. But, but the thing that, that really motivated that um, article that got us talking about uh, being on the show, Ryan, was just watching Canada uh, play this weird role of lecturing China and India on coal, which is just so embarrassing. China and India responded to it, but it was just, it's just embarrassing. So it's weak. It's kind of being the nurse Cratchit of COP28. There was no point in doing it unless 
the intention. I was actually hopeful when I first read the headline. I thought maybe it'll be an intention to talk about what we've done with Shell and what we can do with the rest of our gas reserves to decarbonize the Asian grid, which is the single most important opportunity in the planet right now. Gilbo's half right that coal's a huge problem. But the place where he's wrong is that he has no plan for Canada to do anything about this. And the world doesn't need another letter saying coal is a bad thing. It needs a solution. And we've got this unique capacity to be a solution. So that article was sort of a final straw for me. I was actually in Hong Kong when I when I read the news. And I'm, you know, I've, as you know, I spent 15 years in Asia. And knowing what Canada can do and what Canada is not doing, especially in light of the fact that this current domestic only strategy targeting only 1.5% of our own domestic emissions is complete failure right now. It hasn't achieved anything. I mean, we're, we, by, when they first instituted this after signing the Paris Accord in 2015, by 2019, emissions had gone up. I mean, how, did, how does this make any sense, right? This is the most, I mean, the, the Liberal Party is the most committed of the, of the parties to trying to do something about climate. The reason they're failing isn't because they're bad people or because they don't get it. It's because Canada is a very unique place to try and cut emissions from, but also, Canada's a rounding error. We're 1.5% of global emissions. We used to be over 2% of global emissions. Our emissions have dropped as a percentage of global emissions because the rest of the world is radically increasing their use of carbon intensive fuels. And in the absence of us getting in the game and trading gas, we're not doing anything serious about the, uh, the emissions from coal. So Gilbert recognized that, but then uh, dropped the ball on it by not offering Canada to do anything about it in a substantive way. And so that really got my goat. I had to, I'm trying to stay out of most political things, except on the side, but I had to write this because it just drives me nuts. And the world needs us, and we can do it. And the scale of the opportunity is enormous if we're actually serious, not trying to just make this a performative, divisive political football to play at home. It got people's attention. If people haven't read it, it was published uh, December 14th. Your your piece uh, in the National Post, if Gibbo actually cared about coal burning, he'd back natural gas. You, you don't really, though, expect him to, do you? Like the, the way that he's wired. Uh, I mean, I think Gibbo has kind of established himself, uh, you know, based on his background pre-politics or at least pre-serving in this ministry and, and his general comments and his general perspective. People can look at whatever sample they like. It could be his, his negotiations or his comments with the province of Alberta and getting Alberta's grid to net zero by 2035. You talk to the provincial government here. They say there's no way, no how. Uh, they're not even trying uh, basically, and, uh, and 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 the sovereignty act thing that's flared up as a result of that. But Gibbo, do you expect him really to go to a, a, a conference like COP28 and and champion natural gas? I know that Alberta would love to see it. I know that the oil and gas sector would love to see it. But I don't know for some reason. Maybe I'm just cynical. I don't expect that at all. Look, I think I think on both. I think whatever political stripe you come from, the point when you take on a leadership role for the federal government of Canada is to provide a leadership view on what Canada can do in the world. And I think that in some ways, you know, there's this phrase in American politics that only Nixon could go to China uh, because Nixon was such an obvious skeptic. Uh, and it was under, under Nixon and Kissinger that you actually had the first beginning of the thaw with China. And everybody said, you know, if these guys will do it, then clearly it's a good idea. I think Stefan Jilbo, if he looks at the math, 
and, and frankly, quits hiding the ball on how poorly we're doing right now in this current domestic emission strategy. I mean, look at their 2030, uh, 2023 progress report. They use a 2019 baseline for a Paris Accord progress report, which has a baseline of 2005. Why are they doing that? You know, he's stuck in this situation where he has to continue to hide the ball on the failure of the current domestic only strategy. He could be the best guy for Canada to actually build a bridge, have the conversations, do the math and talk about the science. He was just in China. What was the purpose of being in China if all we're going to do is send them our coal and not our gas? You know, so I, I do think I do think it's incumbent on him. It's incumbent on any leader to try and figure out where the middle ground is. But the, the sad thing is, no matter what he does about the emissions cap in Alberta, the stakes are just so low. China in one year will exceed our entire one year of coal burning in China this coming year will exceed the entire 25 year domestic emissions reduction plan of Stefan Gilbeau. In other words, we're completely irrelevant in the global uh, emissions reduction strategy. There's no point. So, so COP28 is like Woodstock for, uh, for like sustainability officers and environment ministers. You know, they, they love it. They go there. But he made two announcements. One was to, to be the nurse Cratchit lecturing the world on why coal is bad when Canada is a place with only 38 million people, a clean grid and only 7% coal use. You know, if you're China and it was 73% or India was 68% coal use because it's cheap, it's affordable, and you're managing 3 billion people, Another 600 million of whom are trying to move out of grinding poverty into the middle class, which is why over the last 20 years, we've seen this massive increase in global emissions because of the huge anti-poverty movement, which I think will go down in history as the most important thing that happened in our generation. Uh, what's Canada doing? Are we there to help? Or are we just there to sort of be a sidebar lecture on the fact that coal is bad, which everybody already knew and everyone's looking for solutions to so look, I'm, I'm very hopeful that if it's not Stefan Gilboa, if you can't see a, a broader opportunity for Canada than a domestic bun fight over emissions reductions that are a rounding error, then we need to, we, then eventually Canadians will get tired of it, but the world's already tired of it. Nobody is looking at what's happening in Canada emissions wise or climate wise and thinking that it's leadership. It's not, it, it hasn't worked domestically. So we're not leading on that front. And we're not offering anything outside of our borders uh, when we have this enormous resource, incredible technology, and all these other things that actually the Paris Accord in Article 4 and Article 8 makes explicit is the purpose of trade, technology, and global emissions reduction. We know that most nations don't have our gas reserves, so what are they supposed to do? Wait for us to get with the program? You've you've uh, a few times in our interview been, been obviously sort of dismissed Canada's emissions reduction efforts. You, you sort of poo pooed them and, and, and you haven't called them a failure, but you're implying that they are. Um, take us into your perspective there. And, and what do you think would mark meaningful progress on that? Why are you giving it a failing grade right now? Look, I think I think there's three ways to look at it. The first way is Canada has had an incredible run economically and in terms of population growth. And if you look at the fact that we've kept our emissions relatively flat in spite of those two things, that's a real accomplishment. And that's something that we should be talking about as a, as a nation. And it's something that for whatever reason, I don't know why we're not talking about it. It's a real accomplishment. Second thing is we haven't achieved anywhere near the domestic emissions reduction that you've seen happen in the United States and Europe. We're way behind all peer countries on these things. 
This is not because we're not trying or because we don't care. This is because Canada is a very, very unique place. We only have 38 million people. We're in the second largest landmass in the planet. It's vast. It's cold. Our cities are distributed across this landmass through huge logistics networks of transport, air, tra uh, truck, rail, right? We are also one of the world's most important deposits of minerals, gas, oil, um, agriculture. We feed the planet and we fuel the planet. And that is the nature of how these things break down. Other nations wish they had just a small amount. Of, I was just in, in Washington, D.C. for an event and, and somebody was at this dinner party. They said, tell us about Alberta. And I said, okay, here's three fun facts that everybody in the United States doesn't know about Alberta. Number one, we have more oil than the United States and Russia and China combined. We are your strategic petroleum reserve. You know? Number two, we have now got the cleanest barrels of oil, uh, cleaner than California, because the number one decarbonization effort in the planet in oil production took place in Canada over the last 20 years because we had the task of trying to draw our energy out of this viscous oil sands. And as a result, we've innovated and entrepreneurs have funded the innovations that have reduced our barrels by 40%. So if you don't like our oil, then you definitely have to cancel California oil because it's more carbon intensive, right? So we're bigger than you think, we're cleaner than you think, and we're a critical part of the total strategic reserve opportunity for the United States and for Western Europe and for NATO, especially as we're fighting now Venezuela going after Guyana, Iran sponsoring Hezbollah, Hamas, and, uh, and the Houthis, and Russia invading Ukraine, three places where the American administration in the last three years has lifted sanctions to allow their oil into the markets because they're worried about the inflationary effect of the lack of energy that's in the markets right now, given the post-COVID demand. Huge foreign policy mistakes that are having real consequences, and at the same time, they're not doing enough to build the bridge between Canada and the United States on these petroleum reserves. The third fun fact, if it wasn't enough that only 4.5 million people have more oil than the United States, China, and Russia, which makes us effectively the wealthiest place in the planet in terms of resources, we're also the fourth largest gas producer after the United States, Iran, and Russia. So, and the gas is the part that's most important if you look at what we can do to actually decarbonize the grid. The decarbonization of the grid in the United States happened principally, the lion's share of all that decarbonization, 800 million tons of decarbonization now annually lower than it was in 2005 at the baseline, happened because of the replacement of gas on the coal-fired grid in the United States. Now, why didn't we do that in Canada? Because we, didn't, we already had a clean grid. Our grid is so dependent already on hydro and gas that we weren't able to achieve that reduction the way the United States did. The same thing happened in Europe. Now, Europe made a mistake in that the way that they tried to decarbonize the grid was to rely on Russia to the point that 45% of all the gas going into Europe by the time Russia invaded Ukraine was coming out of, uh, was going to Western Europe in a way that just defeated their ability to respond effectively to Russian aggression in Crimea and, and now. So look, I just think we have an extraordinary opportunity where we're far bigger, we punch way higher, we would punch way above our weight, but we're simply not taking advantage of the opportunities in front of us strategically in global security, energy security, or to actually reduce emissions. And I think we just have to get with the program soon. The world is in too serious a place 
to reduce all these conversations, these sad domestic disputes that have Alberta and Ottawa food fight, you know, having this family feud over these very, very minor opportunities to reduce emissions when the biggest opportunities are in front of us. If you're just tuning in, uh, live streaming this audio on the Mixler audio app presented by California Closets, we're talking to David Knight Leg. Uh, Erica is watching us on YouTube, says David's bang on decarbonizing Asia is not only the best way to help the environment, it also offers the greatest economic opportunities. It seems like a no brainer. Um, and then, David, you got your critics on the live chat as well. Uh, you know, uh, Justin calling yeah, from those guys. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, Justin uh, says this is a tired argument. You know, China's worse than us, so why? Why should we bother? Uh, Sylvia just says, so like, what's this guy's solution? Um, I think your solution is probably like a, a, a global climate strategy, right? Your solution yeah. is to make available market and sell more natural gas to Asia from Canada. Right. I mean, is that is that it in one sentence? Yeah, look, I, 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 I appreciate the critics and I keep saying, you know, like, I'd love to be debunked on these things. I, I want to get to the right answer. I, I don't want us to, to reduce this to domestic talking points, right? I think the whole climate, energy, uh, environment, this economy discussion needs a lot of open, honest debate. I, I think there's three parts to a solution. The first one is we've got to ditch this sad domestic only uh, climate strategy for something that's global because global emissions are borderless, right? First, I think that's the first single most important thing. Second, I think we've got to be honest about what Canada is. All these attributes that we have that make it very hard for us to get water from a stone by trying to reduce the 1.5% of emissions we have and, and look at what Canada's got. So if we ironically are trying to reduce emissions by shutting down gas production in Canada because of domestic emissions, but we're missing the opportunity for that gas production to massively reduce emissions in China by replacing coal, then we're making a huge strategic mistake if the goal is global emissions reduction. And so I think we need a global strategy versus a domestic strategy. I think the second thing that we need to do is get very collaborative. I don't think we need to uh, reduce this to domestic political fights. We're already divided as a nation in various ways. We need to have a process or a, or a mechanism for starting to put together a much more collaborative approach. I went through this with Dow. We can talk about that. Dow just did a billion, uh, $11 billion deal here. That deal has been three years in the making. And Ryan, I wrote a, an op-ed on, on this uh, back in March 2021 when I was having this huge fight with the federal environment minister's office over their uh, intention to use the word toxic to describe six household benign plastic goods, including plastic straws. And this was insane, right? This made no sense at all. It was, it had a huge second order effect, which is apparently, and they told me this, it pulled well out east, but the problem was we were killing our advanced chemistry industry here in Canada by using that crazy language. That language didn't make sense. You can't put a benign household item like plastic in the same categories cyanide or arsenic, but they were intent on doing it and they wouldn't do it through legislation. So they passed it through Canadian Environmental Protection Act, SEPA. And I wrote this article saying this is going to fail. It just failed in the federal courts. And we just landed the Dow deal off the back of the fact that it's now been determined that it was, in the words of the judge, unscientific, unconstitutional and unreasonable. But why did Canada have to go through three years of fighting these internal battles, ultimately having to take it to the court, the province had to take it to the court, before something rational could be done in a way that was good for the economy, but also good for the environment? 
Canada needs the 18,000 advanced chemistry people that will build our circular economy and the ability for us to recycle things tomorrow that we can't recycle today. And if we had persisted in using this unscientific language, this completely unscientific approach for the sake of scoring domestic political points on pollution being bad, we would have pushed all that science offshore where most of it currently sits because we're not having a collaborative approach to these issues. And so I, I think A, go global, B, start to collaborate a bit more on where we can go, where we have a lot of shared objectives. And third, take advantage of the fact that we have, we're just the luckiest country in the planet. We just are, we, we've got trade proximity to the largest economies on the planet, the United States and China, right? We have enormous resource bases that we can't even count. We haven't even mapped our mineral base. We are going to be the basis for the transition economy, minerals and rare earths, if we even get, if we even could get around to mapping it. When I was in London explaining this to people, I said, you know, you can fit Great Britain into Alberta seven times. They fell out of their chairs. They couldn't believe it. People don't understand how big, and just, that's just Alberta. I mean, think of, think of the minerals we've got out in Ontario. Think of what, what we're providing, what we can provide the world out of these. I mean, we have so much here. We have so much opportunity. So I think the third biggest part of the fix is just figuring out our, our the things that we're, we've always been great at for the last 150 years, our trade, our diplomacy, the fact that we maintain a soft power. You know, you were talking earlier at the break about the American, former American president saying things that, that are mindless. You know, Canada has always been sort of the sensible, um, you know, sort of cousin to the Americans the rest of the world can rely on to kind of talk them off the cliff sometimes. That's an incredible power. And this is the kind of thing that we should be engaging in as a nation. So, so to Erica, I want to say, yeah, I've thought a lot about the solutions. Uh, we, we can talk about specific solutions around gas decarbonizing the Chinese and Indian electrical grid. But that's not just a climate solution. That's also a diplomatic solution. We need soft power with China and India right now. And this is a natural way to get it. We also could use the trillion dollar trade implied by the requirements to replace 20% of the Asian grid with, with our natural gas. So I think there are solutions. I think there's multiple solutions, but I think if we can start with going global, being collaborative and having a, uh, a sense of how we can leverage our strengths, we'll be further ahead. Uh, we've got, uh, did you, you mentioned you, you sort of like tucked that word rivers in there to one of your, you, you're talking about Canada's mineral wealth and natural resource. And you said rivers, uh, and I'm going, Ooh, water. And you know, water's going to be, uh, more yeah. and more of a relevant conversation already is obviously, but what, what sort of, uh, attitude would you take generally speaking? I'm, I'm asking you a big, huge question here so you can take it from whatever angle you want. But, but I, I know, I know that some people probably feel like Alberta's water is already threatened. Uh, we, we could talk about across the country. There's been a lot of talk about mining in the Eastern slopes of the Rockies and the implications on water basins. And, and I mean, you can take this from a number of different angles. Some people may take sort of more of a protectionist approach to water. Sure. Others may see huge economic opportunity and say, Alberta, Canada uh, should leverage whatever it can. We've got an enormous trade partner just south of us that will need Canadian water, et cetera. But we don't talk about this a lot. We talk a lot about oil and gas. We're talking about renewables, but we don't talk as much about water as we should. Look, it's a great point. And I'm, you know, it's, it's above my pay grade. I'll tell you uh, three things that come to mind on that. One is, as you know, I grew up down south. 
where uh, we just did it. One, one of the first deals that we did early on was with Canada Infrastructure Bank. Great people there, and they put uh, close to a billion dollars into the irrigation strategy to make uh, enormous new tracts of land in the in the southeast, and I think soon the southwest. We should uh, mention you're originally from Lethbridge, for people that don't know. Yeah, best city in Alberta. The wind capital of Canada, probably. <laughs> It is. It is. We used, to, we used to have an advantage when I was playing soccer there for the university. There's so much wind. We used to be able to score goals by kicking it. We, we'd sort of grown up knowing how you could kick it in ways that would curl it into the net. It's pretty intense. But I think it's a beautiful part of the world, but it's also a place where water has taken it. It's actually technically semi-arid desert, if you kind of look at it. Uh, the maps where they sort of do these topographical maps uh, on uh, climatic um, zones. And, but it's been uh, irrigated, it's become arable, and it's part of the breadbasket that feeds Canada and the world. And I think, Ryan, you know, the, the strategy around water should be part of what we're talking about with the overall environmental strategy. We've got a, a you know, again, it's just part of our wealth and it's part of the way that, that uh, we can have leverage in the world and and uh, increase our trade, as you mentioned directly, the United States. I think there's another thing about that. I remember the the coal discussions happening on the uh, with the mountains. Those are the mountains I kind of grew up playing in. And I think that there is a place if we go to this, go down this route of being more collaborative and trying to depoliticize. There's a place for the scientists here. And one of the things that I've noticed when I was in government is we've got extraordinarily capable people in the province and, and federally. And when we began to do some of the work on collaborating on finding solutions, um, those people stepped in and we were able to go a long, long way towards figuring out how to solve things. Most of the things we have to do are not uh, you know, apparent. They're not obvious. They don't sort of submit easily to Twitter memes. You know, that You have to work on it. And, and we're seeing that start to happen in some of these areas. But for the people that are listening that know what they're talking about with water, I don't want to say any more than that. Uh, you, you said you want to hear from critics, so let me give you a few more. Ken's not necessarily taking a big shot at you. He says, I do find it interesting how many uh, United Conservative Party members have come to Jesus on reducing coal use with natural gas when they would have fought tooth and nail uh, to convert our coal power to natural gas just a few years ago. Dwayne says to this guy, it's all about how to make a buck. And Justin says DKL is ignoring the rapid rate of renewables adoption in places like China, uh, which outpaces our own. Uh, this is a very short-sighted thought process, it seems to me. Uh, what would you say to them? Wow. Okay, I'll take uh, Justin first. I'm wondering if that's our mutual friend, Justin. He's just taking shots because he's got a chance to. <laughs> it's, ju it's on the chat. It's Justin D. Evans. No, no, no. I'm not sorry. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm joking uh, there. I, Justin, it's a great question. Look, here's the problem that you find in the developing world with renewables. Uh, first thing is renewables are intermittent, both solar and wind are intermittent, which is deadly for the grid. Um, you can't, you can't afford, you can't run a hospital on intermittent power, number one. Number two, it doesn't provide baseload power. So you have to always have, wherever you have uh, important critical applications for energy, you also have to have a gas or coal-fired or nuclear grid attached so that when the wind and solar fails, not if, when it fails to provide the energy, 
you're able to uh, provide the backup essential as critical applications. The third problem, and the one that is really the thing that defeats wind and solar in most of the developing worlds, is it takes two to 300 times the land mass as a single uh, gas or, or um, nuclear or coal-fired plant. And so if you look at what's happened in China, China is actually a great example. China provides most of the world's rare earths. It provides the refining capacity of almost 80% of the world's rare earths. It is the number one provider and, and the dominant supply chain for solar globally. No one's even close. And yet it built five times the coal-fired capacity of the rest of the world combined in 2021. It has massively expanded its coal-fired plants and it is doing a lot to decarbonize the coal-fired plants to be fair to them, but uh, nothing has worked as effectively at decarbonizing in the immediate term until we have really unique, not yet available battery technology, or other things that could help provide some of the solutions around what's happening with renewables. Then, then what you're going to see is China, where it had they have the most renewable supply chain capability, are still massively expanding coal-fired grid. Why are they doing that? Because renewables can't provide the security or the efficiency or the cost efficiencies of, uh, of building a coal, gas, or nuclear grid. Now, in, in, in that vein, let me say that one of the areas that I'm deeply optimistic about and doing a lot of reading about right now is small modular nuclear, because I believe small modular nuclear provides a carbon zero solution will eventually be able to operate as an add-on to critical applications and has 40-year baseload power minimum. Uh, and some of the new op some of the new technology being built in sort of the 150 to 300 megawatt uh, categories for those small modular nuclear actually fit within the same footprint as a gas or a coal-fired plant and I, I believe and provide carbon neutral solutions. So there's lots of uh, opportunities there, but happy to talk about more about the renewables versus gas, but also just the timing of this. Right now, we're in a place where coal use is going up significantly around the planet. And the only thing that works real time immediately to decarbonize that is the retrofit of existing coal-fired facilities to gas. And that buys us time to continue to provide uh, opportunities to apply better and better and more carbon uh, efficient solutions. Let me ask you this in closing, uh, Jason Kenny, I don't know if technically he was your former boss, you were a principal advisor. Anyway, he, you, you worked alongside and closely with him. You were his closest advisor. Uh, COP26, uh, he said he wasn't going. He described it as a political gab fest. Uh, COP27, Premier Danielle Smith had just sworn in her cabinet like a week yeah. later she didn't go but she sent sonia savage to cop 27 um yeah. she said that the federal environment minister she, i remember she used the word hostile she said the the federal government is hostile to alberta's industry uh it's important that we send a delegation and she did and then cop 28 uh, which is just wrapped alberta sends a canadian record for participation at a u.n climate convention under premier smith more than 100 people yeah. go um what would you say are you are you you're not advising premier smith are you there's no official no no i have no official okay role with so so I'll note that you're not as close to the current premier uh, or, you know, working closely with her office. But what would you say? I'm curious to see how you will answer the question. What would you say is the biggest difference 
between Alberta's two most recent premiers, Kenny and Smith? How would you compare them? Look, I think I think both premiers um, and before them, Premier Notley have to try and figure out. I mean, this this goes to what we're talking about with Stefangelo. You have to try and figure out what's in the best interest of Albertans and also what Albertans' tolerances are at a particular time. And I think during a period where we were just coming out of a really tough recession, and we were we were pulling, uh, you know, as you know. Ryan, I came back to work on, uh, I came back to, to give back for a few years. I left my banking job because things looked so dire and two of my brothers were out of work. And I think that Premier Kenny at the time was constantly thinking about where and why he should be taking any trip at all uh, when people were, were hurting at home. And I think we're in a different economic situation right now. I think we're, we're on fire. You know, we've had the most extraordinary growth I just read the, the I'm advising um, the CEO of Invest Alberta right now. I just read through our results. We've had over $32 billion in deals through Invest Alberta, 26,000 jobs. You know, we've had the fastest uh, population growth, the fastest economic growth, the highest net income, the highest employment rate in the country, the, you know, highest educated workforce in the country. Um, you know, Alberta's in great shape. And I like the fact that Premier Smith is saying what she's thinking out loud, but she's going to the places where she's not going to get a standing ovation. And it takes courage to do that. And I think that Alberta needs to represent its interests and Canada's interests in, in a way that's winsome and thoughtful, but also engages people on their ground. I'd like to see the, the Premier and our team spend the time we need to spend in Toronto. You know, I, I got in trouble for taking uh, trips to London because we had to deal with uh, banks and insurance firms in Europe that had decided they were no longer going to fund our, our, um, our economy, basically. But, but specifically, they weren't going to fund our energy and agriculture economy based on a complete misunderstanding of, of what Canada was, based on a complete misapprehension of our actual ESG scores. When we showed them the math, they changed. Barclays changed. They ended up doing our bond deals. Uh, HSBC changed. Um, the insurers took a big step back. This is important to us. And so I think any trip you take, any discussion you're going to have, you have to know why you're having it. And I'm not close enough to the internal decision-making process around Premier Smith or her or her team. She's got some great people around her. But I think anytime, and I, I believe this is true of, of decisions that Premier Notley made as well, just so we're taking it out of UCP territory only, I think every premier really has to wrestle with why and how they take these trips and how they make these arguments based on how Burton's feel at the time. But um, I remember taking the premier to the trilateral commission <laughs> down in Mexico city. And some of the team was just horrified. They're like, just, just sends all the wrong messages. But, you know, we had to make an argument at the time about who we were and what we were capable of doing in the world. And that was actually an argument that started to kick off some of the topics that we're talking about right now. David Knightleg, uh, former principal advisor to Jason Kenney, now uh, working uh, through the Fintechs Group and as chairman of Elements Advisors. You can find him on Twitter at Knightleg, and you can find his most recent column in the National Post. If Gibo actually cared about coal burning, he'd back natural gas. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us, my man. A Merry Christmas to you. Happy holiday season. Merry Christmas to you. I'm looking forward to coming back when it's 10 million, so probably in February, early February. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, well, we'll see what we can do through January. Pump those numbers okay. up. Thanks, man.
Uh, Have a great Christmas. Yeah, you as well. That's yeah. David Knight Leg. Let us know what you think. I appreciate uh, you know the comments in the chat. Uh, the best part about the chat is a lot of you think he's bang on, and a lot of you think he's out to lunch. And I, I kind of think that that's real life. Um, it, it, it warms the cockles of my heart that not everybody agrees on everything. What kind of a lame talk show would that be? Uh, Charles Adler coming up in just a quick second. Uh, we'll get his response to what David just argued. And then I, I got a lot I want to get in uh, with Adler. Trump has made uh, like a, a horrific comment about immigrants. I, I know that nobody should be surprised. Um, we pulled a clip. Uh, over the weekend, I, I sent it to Johnny on something else Trump said that has absolutely nothing to do with the immigrants. It's, I don't know if I want to say equally as shocking. It's like trying to compare. To, anyway, and you look at the polling, and in, in as many ways as we say the former president of the United States, you might as well say the future one as well. Now, there's a lot that still has to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm always curious to know where you land on that. But I just have this kind of a sick feeling in my gut. Do you? I don't know. And then there's the story of Jaskaret Singh Sadhu as well, the, the uh, trucker uh, that caused that crash near Tisdale, Saskatchewan, that claimed, obviously, uh, 16 precious lives. The, the horrific Humboldt Broncos bus crash, Canada Border Services Agency, says he should be deported. Um, and I know that this is a conversation that is difficult for Canadians, um, maybe more difficult uh, to, to, to publicly state that you believe that on compassionate grounds, uh, Mr. Singh Sidhu should be allowed to stay. I don't know. Um, it's a supercharged conversation for sure. It's an emotional one for sure. And those are the ones where I look to Chuck and his Canadian common sense uh, to help us sort that out. We'll be looking to the live chat on that one as well. This podcast is happening with the support of Friesen Brothers. And uh, of course, as we know, many of you, are going to be hosting family and friends over the holiday season. Maybe for dinner. Lucky you. Your house will be full. Your heart will be full. But what's your plan? The Ukrainian-inspired Christmas dinner box from Catering by Friesen Brothers to the rescue. Available to order right now. This is a chef-prepared Christmas catering box. It can feed up to four people. So if you have 40 coming, you just buy 10 of them. It's simple. It includes traditional Christmas treats, roasted turkey, cranberry sauce, gravy, tray buns, pierogies, Bacon bits, green onion, sour cream, carrots, and creamy dill sauce, which Johnny is the most underrated Friesen Brothers side, I would say. There's also optional add-ons like Ukrainian fried sausage, their handcrafted pies, Granny's famous stuffing. You can order online at cateringbyfriesen.com slash Christmas Dinner Box or just pop into one of their 16 locations across the province. We're going to be talking a lot as 2024 is upon us about fresh starts, about new opportunities. If that's right up your alley, if that's where your head is at, before you put a game plan in place, consider all your options. The best one may very well be Athabasca University. You can find it online at AthabascaU.ca, Canada's open university. Scroll down their main page to learn a little bit more about how your options open up with the online offerings at AU. You know, they have more than 50,000 alumni, 50,000 Program and course alumni from over 100 countries. It's unbelievable. Many factors make AU unique. You can read about the AU advantage at AthabascaU.ca. Dwayne in the chat says, Ralph Klein shouldn't have privatized driver training in Alberta. A comment, I'm sure, uh, in the context of our conversation about the Humboldt driver. Uh, Charles Adler joins us the first episode of every week. The Emmy Award winning talk radio legend and host of the Charles Adler Show podcast. It's nice to see you again. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. 
I did. I did. Uh, loved your guest. Oh, my God. Smart guy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, you mind if I borrow him from time to time and... Fill your boots. Fill your boots, man. Okay. I remember. I remember All the right. first time. Really, and can I say, really, hey, can I? Really can, let, let me take you behind the curtain for a second, because you and I. Sure. This is this is more relevant to you than any other of the thirty-five million people in Canada. Um, yeah. You and I both had dust-ups with Alberta's former premier. Um, Absolutely. Alberta's former premier and his staff, quite frankly, ensured that I got fired yeah. from my radio job. So it's very relevant to me. Um, and David Knight Leg was the first out of the Kenny administration. We don't really use that language in Canada, but but out of Kenny's office, really. He was the first uh, to do an interview with me on Real Talk, and I've always appreciated that. He kind of stepped outside of the ban because I've heard directly from horses' mouths, uh, ministers were banned from doing interviews with me, including on Real Talk. Uh, David Knightleg said, basically, fuck that, I'm doing it, and uh, I've always appreciated mm-hmm. him for that. Well, after my uh, my dust up, as you call it, with uh, with Kenny, uh, all uh, the name brand, big brand conservatives, including Polyev, were uh, yeah, were basically uh, not allowed, not allowed to uh, to be on my show. Yeah, he wields Boycott. a big stick. Uh, so, you know, anyway, there you have it. We move on. Yeah. Life moves on. Here we are. Um, I got a lot I want to talk to you about, but I, but I wanted to just like, you know, since we just had a, a half hour conversation. Interesting. Sure. Had the audience thinking sure had me thinking on Canada's emissions reduction strategy, but more specifically, a global reduction strategy. Yeah, I, Canada dropping the ball. Any thoughts to add? Well, the, the, the math, uh, the logic is inarguable. Alberta has this massive resource. Obviously, nobody in Alberta needs to know what it is. But the idea that we can help decarbonize so much of the world that is dependent on coal, including China, with our gas... The, the fact that we're not encouraged to generate more of it, mine for more of it, drill for more of it, and export it to the rest of the world to, to help with mitigating the impacts of climate change. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so utterly logical. I just don't understand why what your guest was talking about isn't right in the, in the vanguard of thinking, and, and, and not that uh, I'm a supporter of Polyev, but that's got nothing to do with it. Frankly, if, if Polyev was making the case that your guest was making on a daily basis, uh, you know, saying, vote for me, vote for a conservative government, this is my plan to help the world. This is my plan to mitigate climate change. This is my plan to make Canada a champion of fighting climate change. And this is the way we're going to do it with this incredible resource we have called Alberta. That would impress the hell out of me so much more than, I don't even want to get into all the sort of immature, junior high, jerky nonsense that he does, wasting my thinking time. Yeah, I didn't know, like, if my question to David was a little clumsy when I was like, you know, well, what did you expect Yobo to say? Like, did you really expect Yobo to go over to, to COP, to go over to Dubai and champion Canadian natural gas? But I know a lot of people working in the energy sector would go, uh, yeah, that, that is literally exactly what we expect him to do as a, as a federal minister uh, responsible for Canadian well-being. Let but us, I, let, but we the wanna, point we of my... help the world. Yeah, we're, and, we're, I, and I guess... We're like, a superpower. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Go no, it's fine. You, 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 make, the argument, you make the argument yeah. That, that, you know, yeah. transitioning from coal to natural gas does help the environment and Canada can benefit along the way. Like it's, 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 it's very simple, very cut and dried. But I just think that the point I was making in asking the question is that certain people, um, you know, from from certain ideologies or, or 
with yeah. a certain approach to combating climate change like Gibbo does. And he and he does so in earnest, like to his credit, he's always available to real talk. His team reaches out. They want to make him mm-hmm. available all the time. He wants to be on more than he's on. Uh, he, he, <laughs> he, he wants to get the country talking about it. Right. And, and I just yeah. think like he is like and I don't speak on his behalf for sure, but like inherently. Uh, like he, he is ideologically unable, I think, to champion yeah. natural gas internationally. I don't know. And, and like, obviously, it doesn't it, benefit the energy sector, but I just don't think know, he's capable of doing it. Climate change doesn't know borders. And you got into some of that with the guest. And the idea that we turn it into a, you know, a, a sort of a, a some kind of competitive sport where, you know, we want to have a, on a percentage basis, we want to have less of, of a percentage of emissions and others. I mean, that's just, it's just nonsense. I mean, we're an energy superpower. That's what we are. We don't treat ourselves that way. We're an energy superpower. And as an energy superpower, we have an opportunity to help bring prosperity and mitigate climate change at the same time to the rest of the world. And I'm sorry if some people who think of themselves as progressives think that what I'm saying here is is anti-progressive and I'm a lobbyist for oil and gas. I'm none of those things. This is this is logic. I mean, when, when your guest said that nobody has been able to debunk what he's saying, it's true. You can't debunk it. Because it's the God's honest truth. Uh, I appreciate Elias in the chat says, I can't remember her name, but one of Jespo's former guests suggested that natural gas wasn't as clean as promised. And in some cases, the numbers were even worse than coal. Is it truly beneficial as a bridge? That from Elias. Um, Elias is remembering Jenny Yeremy, who joined me on the show on November 2nd. If you want to go back in our archives, uh, it, it was an excellent episode on natural resources. We talked about natural gas. We talked a lot about drought and water shortages. That was November 2nd. You can find it on YouTube or wherever you get our podcast archives. Hey, let me ask you this. This, this is uh, something I, I know that this is a tough uh, subject. The, the humble Broncos crash yeah. uh, resonated with every Canadian uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, it, it prompted the largest crowd funded uh i mean donation in in history i mean the, the tens of millions of dollars that canadians donated i think was indicative of the way that most people felt which was just they could picture their own kid on the bus they could picture themselves on the bus it was just like a horrific tragedy for obvious reasons now years later we find ourselves in a situation where the driver responsible for that crash jaskrat singh sadhu who is a permanent resident to canada recently married uh, pleaded guilty to all charges, uh, did not appeal his sentence, did his time, was paroled, and now the Canada Border Services Agency says that he should be deported last week, losing a court battle. Uh, it's not a complete lost cause. He could uh, stay in Canada on, on, quote, compassionate grounds, but it's prompted a debate on how Canadians feel about whether or not he should be able to stay here or be deported back to India. Where do you stand? It's it's not it's not difficult for me at all. Um, you uh, you break the law, and you kill our people. I want you to he- the hell out of here. And uh, if there was a way to have him uh, deported sooner and have his have him serve his sentence in India, I would have been totally fine with that. Yeah, I I, I don't agree with you. And uh, I I you know if he was impaired. Uh, during the crash, maybe it would have been different. If, if, if there was malice, I would feel different. If it was a shooting spree, if he stabbed people, if, if like, 
it's and, and people are saying in our chat, I saw I think it was seventh pilot. Someone someone said, you know, you don't you know, if, if you run a stop sign, it's not an accident. Uh, I know people don't like the word accident. Let's call it a crash. Um, he, he caused the crash. Uh, he, he's told the courts he was distracted by a flapping tarp. Um, but I just don't I, I feel like. He 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 did his time. It's nothing is going to bring the boys back. I I want to say nope. that I'm, I'm not going to name the families, my, but my, I'm, my. I'm I'm personal friends with with two of the fathers who lost boys yeah. in that crash. I know for sure one of them wants him gone. Um, I I haven't talked to the other about the. I've not shared my perspective with them personally because it's not. I'm staying in my lane on that one. Um, but I just, I don't know. It, I just, it doesn't seem like the right move. It's, he did, he didn't go out and intentionally murder people. I, I, I think that deportation, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it fits. It's not an accident. It is a crash. He blew a stop sign. Uh, he was obviously, uh, driving a cargo that had the opportunity, uh, to kill people, which is exactly what happened. And I've, uh, I guess, uh, I, I'm not as fortunate as you uh, to have an unlimited amount of uh, compassion in this situation. That's not a, that's not me taking a shot at you. I'm, I'm here to say that you're probably a better human being than I am. I'm a flawed human being, and all my compassion goes to those kids and their parents and their sisters and their brothers and their families. And you're more obviously more than welcome to... To feel the way you did. We intentionally, I said yesterday when you and I were texting, getting ready for this, I said, I don't want to know your answer to this question until we do the show. I want to find out on the show. Um, I I feel like, and I'm not stacking up, like I hesitate to even use the word tragedy. The the loss of these lives is a tragedy. I feel like you heap tragedy. It's not, it's not, it's not the same, but I feel like you heap tragedy on tragedy um, by, by forcing this guy to go back to a country he left to start a new life in Canada. And, and I feel like he couldn't. Do, Brian, if, if I were, if, if it were a different situation, if it were a situation where he's oppressed in that country, if it's a situation like, a, say, a, a gay man in Iran uh, or, or, or Uganda has come here, I'd, I'd feel totally differently. I don't, I don't send people back to countries that are going to persecute them and, and, and torture them and, and kill them. But that's not how I see India. Hmm. Hey, were you paying attention to this story, by the way? A deportation order canceled for a gay man from Edmonton who who said that he feared yeah. returning to Uganda. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting story. I mean, it, it does happen. Um, so you know, I knew that, was, I, I, knew that our, I knew that our good uh, friend, um, Liberal MP in the Edmonton Randy Boisno was on that yeah. one. I just I just knew that uh, he would he would take care of business, and if I if I didn't think he would uh, take care of business, I would have done much more with it myself on both the podcast and my column it's outrageous that this country would uh, would send back uh, send a gay man to uh, uganda can't mm. can't handle that yeah so we'll i, I mean i'm gonna do uh I'll, I'll put an unofficial unscientific twitter poll uh, out there and and i'll do it right now as we're talking i i'm, I'm sure. curious to see where where people will land on this i mean i'll keep the question simple i mean should he be deported or not um i, I want to say like I, I you know i feel like just because there are personal connections here I want to be really clear. I know that this is like for, for people that lost sons or a daughter in, in that crash, uh, you know, 
I, I feel like, you know, it, our justice system doesn't work that gives some people more influence in a decision. But I, you know, I, I understand that none of us have walked miles in the shoes they've well, walked but, but in. Ryan, and there's no you, way to you, relate. But I, I just this is Ryan, a story I that I think the whole country takes an interest in. Right. But I don't I don't mean to trespass and make this personal. Say whatever you want. Real, I don't know how to do real talk without being personal. Do I it. think that you have got when I said earlier, I wasn't. You know, and I, I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. It wasn't it wasn't snark. It wasn't passive aggressive. It was the truth. I think that in some ways you're a better human being than me. And one of the reasons I believe that is I think that you can be more forgiving. And pardon me, once again, I don't mean to trespass, but I think part of it is your Christian training. And I think I think you take the idea of redemption uh, more seriously than I do. And I believe that you think that this person is redeeming himself under the Canadian justice system. He never, uh, he never tried to do baffle gab on, on what happened. He pled, uh, pled guilty. He didn't fight it. Uh, he, he confessed. He did contrition. And he's done contrition under the legal system as well. So he did both moral contrition and legal contrition. And as far as uh, you're concerned, I, I, please, if I'm speaking for you, stop me. But I, I think that you are speaking from the heart and you are speaking from your soul, and you're speaking from your, your core beliefs and your core values. And I'm not quite on your level when it comes to some of that, especially on redemption. I wish I were, but you ask me to give you my honest from the heart and soul and, and, and gut opinion, and it has not changed since the moment that crash happened. From mm -hmm. the moment that crash happened, I said to myself that whoever did this has got to go to prison for a long time. And when it was clear that whoever did this, the person who did this, uh, is, is not a Canadian, uh, I'm sorry. Um, that, that's, that's how I felt at that time. And, and, and I've gone over this for many, many hours in my mind. And I have not been able to come over to your side. Now, maybe someday I will, but not this day. It's fair. Uh, my Twitter poll is up for people that want to check it out. I kept the question simple. Yes, deport him or no, let him stay. I, I, I don't know. I mean, how about this from Ben in the chat? I want this to go noted. He says Christian training indeed set in a positive light for once uh, that from Ben, which is fair. Uh, I don't I don't I don't give everybody a pass. And in, and in some areas, I, I don't have any faith in redemption. Um, there was a story, I don't know if you paid attention, uh, a, a perennial uh, threat, a horrific human being, a, a, a person by, that goes by the name of Laverne Waskahat. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, Edmonton police had, had warned uh, that this person was uh, to be released and said that there is a high likelihood that they will reoffend, uh, in particular, uh, sexual offenses targeting children. I don't know if you saw this, Charles, but uh, yeah, this, I did. this and, person and wasn't out for uh, any longer than yeah. two days before they were rearrested yeah. by police, discovered to have a baby crib, diapers, dozens of dozens of alleged pornographic drawings and a laptop. Um, so I'm not, I don't want to take the class out of this conversation, but like I individuals like that, uh, I'm happy to lock them up forever and, and have them rot in prison. I, I think that if uh, as a society, we're not protecting our children and protecting our most vulnerable, then what are we even doing? So I don't give a pass to everybody, but in this circumstance with, with Mr. Singh Sadhu, you and I see it differently. That's perfectly fine. Let's talk. Yeah, I mean, on, on, on situations like that, I think I've, I've I may have mentioned this a time or two when uh, people, uh, civil liberties people, uh, tell me, uh, so you want to you want to warehouse uh, these pedophiles? Yeah, I do. Yeah, 
I do. I do want to warehouse them. Uh, if it's obvious that a person uh, cannot control their impulses, um, they, they they stay in the box until there's proof that they can't control them. And when the police, and I do trust the police on this, they know this guy. When police tell right. us that they have a high level of certainty that he's going to do it again, I'm asking myself, what kind of a crazy system do we live in where police have to do this? Why can't we just keep him in the box? Yeah. I, I realize once again, the civil liberties people are are opposed. Yeah, but no, that. I'm, I'm, di- I'm different on stuff. Like if you were, uh, whatever, there's, there's any number of offenses, uh, that I believe that people can, can be rehabilitated. And I believe that, that prison right. time and counseling and other resources, detox, yeah. like all the things can get people back on track. And I love a good comeback story. I love a good redemption story. I believe in second chances, but like, not with that. And I just think we're so no, soft. Well, yeah, but I, I'm positive that if the, if the truck driver, in this case, uh, who's being deported uh, to India, uh, I think if the truck driver had not shown contrition, if he had behaved differently, and if you felt that uh, he was going to be allowed to get back in a truck again and da-da-da-da-da, uh, uh, possibly do what was done before and possibly drive recklessly, et cetera, et cetera. I think that your, your attitude would be different, but I, I just, well, of course I just think would. at the moment, at the moment, the truck driver and the pedophile are apples and oranges, apples and oranges. And I'm not trying to conflate the two. I'm just saying that yeah. I'm just saying that I don't, I'm not, I'm not wired in a way that second chances for everybody. Uh, I want to give a recent example of somewhere where I'm, Sure. Like about is if you want to, if you want to, I think it's lazy to try to all the time to try to put crime and punishment or justice stories on the political spectrum. But if you want to know where I'm furthest right uh, is with pedophiles uh, and sex offenders. Like that's where I just have zero appetite for this. I've, I've been in arguments with friends. I have a, I have a dear personal friend who works as a counselor with the federal corrections system with pedophiles and she and I, we, we've not, it's not been a yelling match, but it's been like a very, and, and, and she's right. I have no experience in this field. I'm not a trained professional like she is. She's right that if I heard the stuff that she hears, I would lose all faith in humanity, but she works hard to try to help these people get on the right track. And, and I just don't have faith that they can. So I'm not, I'm not trying to drag pedophiles into a conversation with the Humboldt driver, but I do think it's important to know, and you are right. Like if 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 Mr. Singh Sadu was drunk or high when he was driving that truck, uh, if 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 he was going like, I mean, if there were a number of contributing factors, I might feel differently on this. But I, I don't know. I mean, you know, interesting comment from Alberta girl who says we all know that if that driver was Canadian, uh, he'd be back truck driving. Um, Ken says he he is guilty, but it's not like he's a terrorist. He should stay. Um, Lorne quite rightfully asks, what about the owner of the trucking company? Wasn't there some controversy on their part? There certainly was. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand that not everybody's going to feel the same on this. Maybe they'll take a quick look here, Charles, the, the unofficial unscientific Twitter poll has been up for just a few minutes, uh, 125 votes already. Um, uh, wow. 87% of people say, let them stay. So 13% of people early, it's only been up for four minutes. Uh, but, uh, 13% say deport them. 87% say, let them stay. So it is what he is. Um, let's talk about Trump. Unbelievable comment. I mean, I guess, you know, you're kind of like in territory where nothing should surprise us anymore. Uh, But the former and potentially future president of the United States uh, over the weekend says that immigrants are, quote, poisoning the blood of our country. Uh, The current president of the United States, Joe Biden, says uh, or the campaign anyway, says uh, the comments are Hitler-esque. 
Um, I don't even know what the question is, man, but uh, it's pretty shocking uh, to hear somebody in a position like this. And he doubled down on it, by the way, after he made the comments audibly. He went onto his social media platform, Truth Social, and typed out the exact same thing. Um, you want to talk about turning up the temperature in a country, uh, in a world uh, that's already very tense right now. This is how you do it. He knows that on the border situation, and the Democrats also know they've got a very tough situation there. Most of the so-called independents, and just to do the politics on this, and I can't help but do the politics because we're we're talking about a person who is uh, has got a good chance of being president again. And so it is about politics. And uh, roughly a third of the population in the states is Republican. Roughly a third is Democrat. Roughly a third is independent. Doesn't matter which election we're talking about. Whichever candidate, whichever presidential candidate can get the majority of the independents, that's the one who wins. And Trump knows that the heavy, heavy majority of independents are for either sealing off that border or doing whatever it takes to keep the many migrants who are coming in every single day out of there. And uh, Trump knows that by doubling down and tripling down on this kind of talk, it's, it's successful for him. Uh, how do I personally feel about it? I don't even have to tell anyone how I personally feel about someone using, quote, Hitler-esque language. But I can easily, easily, intellectually separate my feelings about Hitler-esque language and understand that politically it works for Trump. It works for Trump today, and it'll work for him six months from now. I wanted to hear uh, what you thought of his comments on on basically law enforcement, Department of Justice. Uh, this was Donald Trump just a couple of days ago in New Hampshire. Have a listen. Watch you. We will restore law and order to our communities, and I will direct a completely overhauled DOJ to investigate every radical, out-of-control, fake, crooked prosecutor in America for their illegal, racist, in reverse enforcement of the law. I am also going to indemnify all police officers. This is a big thing, and it's a brand new thing, and I think it's so important. I'm going to indemnify through the federal government all police officers and law enforcement officials throughout the United States from being destroyed by the radical left for taking strong actions against crime. I don't know, man. This just feel like he's that's right about that's that's, that's 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 aimed right at the Floyd story. So yep. make no mistake about it. Uh, he's saying that the Chauvin who was uh, convicted of, of murdering George Floyd in Minneapolis. Um, Trump would do whatever it takes to, to pardon him and, and release him. And, and this is the stuff, once again, Ryan, I'm not proud to say this, but I, I don't want to be impervious to political reality. This stuff works. There's nothing the Democrats can do. They can get self-righteous. They can get sanctimonious. They can talk about how America is better than this. And I do believe that America can be better than this. But if we're focused on this the way we are hardcore in a hockey game, we understand that this enforcer is what people are looking for right now, and they're looking for enforcement. It feels to me like this is uh, like, it just feels like he's just sort of like setting the table uh, for another January 6th. You know, it just feels well, of course, like. Of course, of course he is, but what? He, but in terms of, in terms of next election, He's basically saying to, once again, those independents, because the Republicans are, are in his camp, there's no question about that. He is saying to the independents, 
Let me turn this. You owe us a beer for that, Johnny. What beer do you want Charles to send us for having his ringer on? Twenty-four. Twenty-four. Oh wow. Uh, Miller High Life. Twenty-four Miller High Life. Sadler. There's a reason. There's a reason I had it on. It was was because it was a different call. It was a different thing that I was. I'm I'm actually getting. This is. This sounds crazy, but because I'm talking Alberta right now. I'm expecting a package from Alberta. Oh, okay? you, you could have just and said I, Alberta is calling and we would have awarded you 10 points. This was, this was, this, this was BC calling. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why I feel, that's why I feel guilty, but uh, I'm, I'm expecting a, a package from, uh, from Alberta. And if I don't have the ringer on, don't let, I don't get the package. Don't let one of Canada's most downloaded talk shows get in the way of you taking calls for your Christmas packages arriving Adler. That's fine. We would hate, we would hate to inconvenience your, the delivery of your Christmas packages. <laughs> Maybe your okay. Hanukkah package. I should at least. I, I should come no, correct. It's, it's, Happy it's Hanukkah. Christmas. It's Christmas. We can we can do the we can play the Hanukkah card as, okay. as, as long as we want. For ninety nine percent of my life, I've been supporting Christmas, and I I have gone to anyway. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, I live in the I live in the Christian world, and uh, if someone gets offended by that, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. No. Uh, here here's the thing about uh, here's the thing about. Uh, Trump and, and the Democrats and the Republicans. Trump is doing all of this, not just because Trump is Trump. You know, we can talk about Trump forever, alleged criminal and the, the moral issues and all of that. We can talk about that. I want to stay on the politics. He is doing this because he wants to make absolutely sure that nobody who's running for the Republicans and nobody who's running for the Democrats and no other independents can possibly take his real estate. He owns that piece of real estate. Nobody's going to move him off. And in a world where it's all binary, okay, it's all black and white. It's all either or. So for people who are worried about the borders, for people who are worried about that particular situation, where people who are worried about uh, activists getting away with things, I'll just put it that way. I'm talking specifically about Black Lives Matter. For people who don't like those groups, Trump is saying, I'm your, not only am I your guy, I'm enthusiastically your guy. I'll enthusiastically give the finger to all the people you don't like. And nobody is going to ever, ever give you as much of that as you want with the enthusiasm, with the passion that I have. Meaning those voters, I end up identifying with them. And when you identify with someone, you end up forgiving them all of the various trespasses that you may not like because you basically say, yeah, Ralph, uh, Donald, uh, you know, Trump, whoever, whoever you're, I, you know, I'm not really happy that he's done this and this, and this, but he's my guy. Mm-hmm. 100%. You can catch Charles Adler's podcast whenever you want, wherever you get your podcast, and you can catch him right here, the first episode of every week, except for next week, because we're going to be celebrating Christmas with our families. We shall see you the first episode the week after, pal. Every Monday that we're together, and sometimes it's Tuesdays, but every every time we're together, it's a great uh, Christmas gift to me. Uh, thank you very much for everything you do. We love you, Chuck. We'll talk to you again soon. Happy New Year to you. Charles Adler. Can I put you on the spot and ask if you have a thought on the deportation sure. of Jaskrat yeah. Singh Sadhu? Do you, do you have a – I know it's like maybe something that not everybody even wants to talk publicly about. Well, I don't, but, but now you've put me there. <laughs> I have I have put you on the spot. How do, do, you have, do you have a thought on it? I'll say, first of all, you know, I have no idea what it's like to, first of all, have a child, but I can only imagine what it's like to not only have a child, but 
you know, several of their friends. This was a horrific accident. This is as bad have, as it gets. This is the worst. It's horrible. It's I have worst. no idea. And it doesn't matter if the kids were white or black or who they were and what religion they were. This was one of the most horrible events I've ever been alive and seen in this country. So, you know, the families, the grieving, all of that, it, it, it's horrific. But at the same time, you're talking about a 29-year-old man with a wife who came here who, you know, isn't a criminal, doesn't seem to be negligent. I mean, we go through, you know. Well, definitely negligent. Well, but- sorry, before that, sorry. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had he had little training. He was only trained for like a year. Shouldn't have driving, been driving this truck for like two weeks. Yeah. A trucking industry in Canada that is is pretty. It's a lot of people say is failing, rotting there have away. Been some changes, but you're right. It was a mess. Probably not still great. is. What I what I would say is that you know. <laughs> Charles said a lot of ifs, if this happened, if he was gay, if this other thing, you know, I I think we just stick to what we know. And that's that, you know, he was driving too fast. He didn't apply brakes. He went through a stop sign. He, he committed an act that killed a lot of people. He should be punished. But I don't know what this double punishment, how it serves anyone. You mean like he pleaded guilty. He did his time and now he's obviously remorseful. I mean, I, I, I don't see what, what, I don't see what keeping him here, how that other than emotionally and being a reminder to the families, how it hurts anyone else. So if if I had to go just from a legal standpoint, totally emotionless, I don't think there's a reason to deport him. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. And 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 personal friends of mine, two of them, um, you know, I, I've sat in one of their office and seen the framed photo of his son's Humboldt Broncos jersey hanging on the wall. And it mm-hmm. just it's like it, I, I feel like I'm going to cry thinking about it right now. I can't understand the loss. Um, you know, the other obviously everybody knows I'm friends with Chris Joseph, former Edmonton Oiler, Edmonton firefighter, just a wonderful salt of the earth guy, an amazing family. He will miss his boy Jackson for the rest of time. Um, and Chris has been very open in talking about how he feels. And he, he and I know Chris is a guy with a big heart and I know that he's a loving guy and he's and he's and he's sincere, but he wants Mr. Sudhu deported. Like mm-hmm. he just he says we don't want to run into him, we don't want to see him, we don't we just don't want to we just want to know he's not in Canada. And and what am I going to say? Yeah, but like no, I'm not going to have that conversation with a father or a mother no. or or a brother or a sister that lost a loved one. Um, I but I just think like this is the show where we have these conversations, mm-hmm. and I just don't feel. And again, I have the the luxury of of being separated from this story. In other words, I didn't lose my son. Heaven forbid, I would be crushed. Uh, but I just, it doesn't feel like the right move. I didn't expect, I, I didn't know where Adler was going to go on that, but he, like, there was no wavering. Like, he, he was black and white on that one, mm-hmm. uh, which... That's... I- that, that's fine. I mean, yeah, it's his opinion. And I, hes- I hesitate to have one because, but I, I do think, yeah. and I'm, I'm not saying it's the reason, but I feel like if his last name was Smith or if he was from Russia if or something white, else, or if he was from that we wouldn't be talking about deporting so much. But as, well, soon, I mean, as yeah. soon as you have a brown man from a brown country, immediately those things come to light. But I think, I also think, and I'll just say this, that eight years isn't really enough for the loss of that many people. But then, you know, getting into things, 
I probably don't have a lot of expertise in with the legal field. But you know, like, it is. It, but it's like that many lives though. lost when so when when I hear eight years, it doesn't it doesn't equate. It doesn't make sense to me. That that seems a little light. In other words, but you I, feel like it should be like eight years for every soul that was lost. I don't know about eight. That, then then that's your life in jail for for something that I mean, we were talking about manslaughter. You know, a couple weeks ago, I, he he didn't set out that day to crash, ruin his life, and kill a bunch of people, but he definitely did. And I feel like eight years isn't enough. But I don't know what yeah. the correct amount of years would be. I know fair. the most he could have got is what, in Canada. You're well, this get 25, actually is a, right? this set a precedent. This was the this was the heaviest sentence mm-hmm. ever. It is the heaviest sentence ever handed yeah. down in Canada for so dangerous driving. So what more could they offense. have done, right? Uh, but you're right. I mean, I, th- I I feel like, and again, who, who are we? We're not judges. We're not lawyers. Like, not so at all. T- take it for what it's worth. But I feel like, I mean, it, it feels like it should be a 20 year sentence mm-hmm. just based on the magnitude of what happened. Um, but but also again, there's there's legal experts that could explain to us, I'm sure, why it's eight. Uh, and I don't think this guy's going to be living any sort of nice life no, here man, in Canada after a- this. This this is a guy who's going to go to sleep, wake up every day. This is going to haunt him for the rest of his life. And I'm hoping, like, if he doesn't get deported, that maybe he he does something with his life to help other people to try. I mean, if I if if I did something like this, God forbid, if I made an accident that affected people this way. I would spend every waking moment of my life trying to make up for it in some way every day. And, and I hope he does the same. But the other thing is like there, there, there's truck drivers driving on less sleep than this guy was who, who, who could make the same mistakes, who, who have gotten into accidents that weren't as bad. I mean, I just feel like I, I, I just feel <laughs> I feel, I feel like if he had a different last name, we wouldn't be talking about this mm. that much. I appreciate you, uh, you being honest about how you feel about it. And, and, and I was I'm one of those people. On I, I put a hockey stick outside the door for two weeks when 100%. this happened. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't sleep you and for I, the first night. I was like, how, how could you go on with your life? The crash this, was right? on a Friday, and uh, you and I both worked the Oilers game on the Saturday. Yeah, I was, was the in-game host. One. You were the DJ. Mm-hmm. It was a very difficult game to work. Uh, I remember I like these are just little things. I mean, I just remember I went out and bought a new shirt. I needed a green shirt. I needed I wanted it to be the shade of the Broncos jersey. We had mm-hmm. the yellow ribbons on. Like I just I remember being like, how am I even my job? This is I don't know if I'm going down memory lane here in a weird way, but I, like my job there is to get the fans fired up and it's hockey night in Canada. And here we go. But the whole nation is in shock. Uh, I was surprised that the game was played. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that the National Hockey League didn't pause its schedule, but it didn't. And and I remember being in Rogers Place that night and just the, the vibe in there. It was it was eighteen thousand people. It's unusually quiet. Yeah. Unusually quiet. And uh but also I think coming together to watch hockey in a way that sort of said something as well. Like mm-hmm. it was a, a community of hockey fans that were mourning a, a tragedy that fell upon an entire organization in mm-hmm. in a country and I, I don't blame people for feeling strongly on it. I don't know if there's a, a right or wrong answer. I know I don't what, think I, I, know there what is. I feel I don't think anyone's is. right here. Like, I don't think it's yeah. ever... I don't think whatever happens, anyone's ever going to be happy, ever going to be content, ever going to be whole again. Yeah. Him, the families, everyone. No, I mean, he, I'm, su- I'm surprised. I don't even want to say it. I'm, but, say you, it. Well, I'm, I, 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 I think that if you caused an accident like that, the... The biggest thing is that you, you wouldn't want to wake up anymore. No, I mean, that's the 100%. thing. I think if, if I were to cause a crash like that, I think that, and I don't even know if this is an irresponsible comment, but it's real talk. I'll give you that. Like, would be to not die by suicide. Like, quite mm-hmm. frankly, that's that would be my biggest challenge is to stay alive and, and try to remind myself that I have a wife and a child and, 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, unofficial, unscientific Twitter poll. It, it's been up now for 20 minutes, 327 votes, 84% say let him stay. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll report back on this tomorrow. We'll see where it goes. I mean, the trend seems to be that overwhelmingly people that are responding to this believe that uh, he should have a chance to stay in Canada. If you'd rather write us an email, um, sort of, you know, uh, get into a little bit more thought on, on how you reach your decision or, or how this is impacting you, maybe we'll hear from somebody that has been at fault in an accident where there was a fatality. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, or maybe someone who's lost someone. Um, Tara Lynn's comment here is perfect. The only right saying. answer is to review and overhaul the industry. Totally. Like, I don't, I don't think this guy like should have been, I don't, I don't know. How long do you have to train before you operate a vehicle like that? You know what I mean? And I, just for me being on the road two weeks said a lot. If, the, if he'd been driving for five years, I might feel a little differently, but when you go through some shoddy training for a year and then you're on the road two weeks, I, I don't know. I, I kind of, I feel for him, but I also obviously feel for every single yeah. family member who's still alive dealing with this every day. They wake up <laughs> in a nightmare, so to say. Every he, single right? day. Yeah. Every single day. It would never get any, it would never get any less painful ever. It doesn't matter because you know, you lose your son or your daughter. Uh, Dana Bronze was on that bus as well. Like, um, you know, you lose them at 17 years old, 18 years old, and then you're going to miss them on what would have been their 21st birthday. You're going to wonder if they would have got married. You're going to wonder if they would have had kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're going to wonder if you would have had grandkids. Like, like you're never. It doesn't matter if you live until 85, 90 years old. You're still going to miss your child every single day. You know, we have mm-hmm. personal friends that lost a, their little boy, 14 years of age, in a ski accident, and like every single day, they wonder. Who he would have grown up to be. So, like, there's, but, but I also believe that, I mean, like, I understand that sentencing is important. It's very important. Families want to see guilty pleas or convictions. Guilty, sure. guilty pleas go further. Convictions, you know, it's tough for families and survivors that are dragged through trials. Trials are very difficult. Um, a guilty plea maybe eases a tiny little, tiny little bit of pain off the family. Uh, and then, you know, I think that if something happens, I mean, you know, to a family member or a loved one, you want to know that this person that perpetrated that is paying their debt to society. And, and But it doesn't take the pain away. It never will, right? I mean, I think we talk a little bit about capital punishment. We talk about the death penalty in the United yeah. States. And like, does it ease the pain of families to see their, chi- their daughter's murderer uh, get the electric chair? Maybe mm-hmm. a little bit. I, I, I don't know. For me, if someone does, you know, and we're talking about rapists, murderers, child molesters, I feel like them living out their lives in a cell is is to me, if it happened to me again, I don't have kids, but would would be more of a punishment knowing that they're that they they're sitting in solitude. They're never going to be outside in the real is better than, you know, the five seconds of watching them pass away. Is Adler right? still on the call? He's right here. OK, bring him back in. He just Adler just sent me a text and said, please let me back in as we're debriefing here. If you're just joining us, Chuck, what did you want to say? Welcome back. Oh, hang on. We got to get your audio sorted out here. I think you're you're muted right now. We'll he's, just get he's your got mic. himself muted. Okay, you mute. Got, okay, okay, there you go. I can hear good? you. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, look, I, I don't want to get into a, a confrontation with with you or Johnny about this. It's obviously highly emotional. I rarely see you guys debrief for as long, and and I understand the reasons for it. But I need to take something off the table here. My old man was highly aware that I was born in a different country. And he told me that he expected me to live up to the highest standards of a Canadian and possibly even higher. He said that if I ever hurt anybody in this wonderful country that allowed us to have freedom, that he would want this country 
to send me back to where I came from. That was an old, my, a, a, a very strong message from my old man that I heard over and over again. I'm not saying he was right. I'm not saying he was wrong. But that's how I was brought up. And so when I learned that the driver was from a different country, I reverted to exactly the same position. And I'm not saying that I'm right or wrong. I'm saying that's my that was my core position at, at that moment. It never changed. And Johnny implied, I think, and if I'm wrong, Johnny, please forgive me. But I think you implied that my position is based on the color of the man's skin. Oh no, no, he's not, not saying no, no, you're not, not you, not, not you, you, not you, not you. But I think that pu- I think no. so, I think absolutely 100 percent, Chuck. Some public opinion is influenced by Mr. Singh Sidhu's background, without a doubt. I no, I I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not saying you're wrong about that at all, but it's but when John said you know he was from Ukraine or whatever, I'm 100 percent in support of Ukraine. I'm from the country next door. They're my neighbors, and they're also my neighbors in Manitoba, Alberta, everywhere I've lived. Uh, you know, I feel very close uh, to Ukrainians, but if it were a Ukrainian driver, I would feel exactly the same way. So I just hmm. wanted to make it clear. Because I thought if it was foggy for me, then maybe it was foggy for, for some listeners to this podcast and some viewers as well. And I just wanted to clear up the hundred percent possible cloud. Hundred percent. I appreciate you popping back in, pal. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. You bet. And I, just, I and I will I just say, feel like, like we have we have drunk drivers and and other things from from people who are immigrants, and I, I don't ever hear, you know, we don't hear screaming. I'm sure there is screams, but not as much. There's so. This was the first thing people started screaming when this happened right so i just felt that way and i just i just felt maybe if you know it was like a you know a white guy from the uk or or whatever we might hear it a little less but again i don't think there's any right answer to this i, th- I think everyone's valid in feeling hurt and having whatever opinion they have which way but i mean i think we can see from our poll that a lot of people feel you know the opposite. So. I think I think it's a I think it's a, a fair conclusion that you've reached, um, and uh, and I appreciate just an opportunity with you and Charles and and the people in the live chat as well. Like Graham is in the live chat right now. Said this is a top three episode for him. I I, I don't know if I can say top three, but I feel the same <laughs> way. I feel like we're having really good conversation. It's today. hard it feels, to weigh in. This show is know- designed. We're a lot. We we can just like meander in our conversation and explore feelings and and like and sort of like try to hash things out and say what we think and and acknowledge that not everyone will agree and that's good uh you know the kids these days would call this a safe space where we we want this to be a place where we can talk we can spill our guts basically and and on stuff that matters and this conversation is one that matters i mean this tragedy impacted this country uh, in a way that very few tragedies do. And uh, for that reason, I'm grateful that we can talk about it. And we're doing it with the support of partners of ours, like our friends at Complete Care Restoration. And I want to tell you about them uh, for a quick second. If this is the first time you're listening to Real Talk in a while, uh, or if you haven't yet heard this, I had a chance to sit down with Kelly, uh, who's the the founder, uh, one of the owners at Complete Care Restoration. Unbelievable stuff going on there. Uh, Complete Care Restoration, uh, they are a certified, a BMO certified disaster restoration company. Very few uh, across the country can make this claim, and they're the first in Canada to be recycling as much material as humanly possible from the flood sites that they're helping out at, from the burnt-out homes and businesses that they're rebuilding. You know, more than 70% 
of the materials that they're taking out of those sites are going to recycling facilities as opposed to landfills. It is an unbelievable improvement in an industry where, for the most part, everything is going into garbage bins. Like, everything is going to the landfill, but not with Complete Care Restoration. It's something they're very proud of, as they should be, and it makes us even more proud to have them on our sponsor's roster if disaster strikes. I mean, they say they hope you never call them. But if disaster does strike, you can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca. And one more recommendation before we get to positive reflections. We have such a great story for positive reflections today. Fresh Nets, you may have heard of it. I want to help out those of you that are searching for the perfect gift for your husband, your wife. Maybe it's your parents. Somebody that has an outdoor space that has so much potential but desperately needs to be brought to life. You want to put something under the Christmas tree that will absolutely wow them? Why not book a consultation with Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping? How cool of a Christmas gift would it be to put in a water feature or maybe make that dream of an outdoor kitchen finally happen? They do full project management, which means you're not subcontracting out anything. You're not dealing with any of the headaches and hassles that come with big undertakings like these. From start to finish, Eden Landscaping has it all under control. You can book your consult today at landscapeedmonton.ca. Got this email from Steph, by the way. Absolutely loved this. Uh, Mm -hmm. She wrote it to us on Friday afternoon. Uh, You and I were in here wrapping up our duties, and uh, this dropped in the inbox. Uh, Just out of nowhere, uh, Steph, who's a real talker out at beautiful Nelson, B.C. Have you ever been to Nelson? I love Nelson so much. Nelson is such a cool town. My two favorite places in B.C., Nelson and Fernie. Really? Fernie. Fernie's incredible. It changed a lot, but back in early 2000s, Fernie was a paradise. Man, and, and if, you, if you're a mountain rider, if you're a skier or a snowboarder, uh, Fernie's mm-hmm. snow is Incredible. some of the best in North America. Yeah. Uh, so a shout out to Steph in Nelson, B.C. I just wanted to read this. She wrote it just to us, but I wanted to share it uh, as you know, we are in the holiday season. Uh, just said, I want to thank you uh, for the amazing content that you bring in Real Talkers. She says, I'm often too busy to be in the chat uh, and, and truly engaging, but rest assured I'm listening every day at some point. Steph, we sure appreciate that. She says, for three years, you've delivered consistent current great content you've engaged the real talk audience brought light to meaningful discussions in a time of media crisis she says i'm often nodding and saying yes exactly and other times i'm screaming what the fuck Uh, but isn't that the beauty of it she says and it sure is steph she says please let sapria know uh, that she's been on this real talker's mind and heart since her husband's diagnosis and his passing. And I hope one day to hear her on air again. What a terrible tragedy for a young family. Steph says, season's greetings, good health and happiness to all of you and your families today and every day. You make our world a better place, and that is worth supporting. That from Steph. Wanted to let you know how much that meant to us. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Uh, that was really amazing. Uh, and, of course, our hearts are with Sapria, and I will pass that along. Um, thinking of them this holiday season, obviously going to be a very difficult one. Uh, our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy, every Monday, uh, give us a chance to take the heavy stuff and, and just for a second, press pause on it to, to you know, take the negativity out of the news cycle, some, harness some positive energy, right? And uh, we call it Positive Reflections. We absolutely love this. And we got a submission. We've asked you to send us your positive reflections. And that's exactly what Real Talker Reed did. Reed is the founder founder of Fresh Nets, uh, which is one of the coolest initiatives that we've seen in a really long time. You can check him out online at freshnets.ca. He says, I would love to see this featured on Positive Reflections. We'll read. Here you go. He says, the Fresh Nets initiative.
initiative is beautiful in its simplicity. He said, we have to ensure that every public outdoor basketball hoop has a fresh net. Most kids learn to play the game on these the city, school, or community courts near these homes, and if they don't have nets, there's honestly zero chance that they're going to use them. He says, nothing frustrates local hoopers more than seeing basketball hoops with no nets or a net that has seen better days. He says, I started this program back in 2020 uh, before I was with the Edmonton Stingers. Reed is the former CEO of the Edmonton Stingers. He says, I had nothing more than a ladder in my trunk and a bunch of nets. And he says, I started to refresh hoops on my lunch breaks and after work and the program started to grow substantially. Of course, when I joined the Stingers, he says, we are now closing in on a thousand nets put up or replaced. Can you imagine that? A thousand nets they've replaced at their own cost. I mean, you can obviously donate to the program if you feel led. They put a little sticker on the backboard letting them know who's responsible for that fresh nets. He says, as we're heading into winter season in Canada, I'm moving the program indoors and I would love to get the word out to schools and community gyms that we can provide and replace their basketball nets at zero cost to them. He says, Spalding Canada and Sport Factor have signed up to support our program so we can even take it beyond the city of Edmonton. He says, I think that it really has the legs to go Canada-wide, and he says, and support on Real Talk would go a long way to making this happen. He says, you can check out our website at freshnets.ca if you'd like to support them, but even cooler, if you're in the Edmonton area and you know of a hoop that needs a fresh net, you can go ahead and submit the address, and I would go so far as to guarantee that Reed or one of his volunteers will be out there installing a fresh net. Positive Reflections is presented by our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy. You can get a free solar quote today by visiting kubienergy.ca. Hey, we want you to mark on your calendar a couple of things as we wrap for the week here. Coming up on Thursday, it's the return of our group chat roundtable. We're going to do a year in review, a look ahead to 2024. It's going to be a ton of fun. And if you're a Real Talk patron, if you support us on Patreon, circle your calendar for this Friday. It's a special morning just for you. This week, you'll be getting an email to your inbox with an exclusive Zoom link. It's our annual Real Talk Patreon Zoom holiday party. Friday morning, we're going to get the festivities underway. We'll have trivia games. We'll have some open line Q&A time. We're going to be giving away some prizes. It's one of the ways that we thank you for supporting us on Patreon. You can learn more about that by checking out our website, ryanjesperson.com. Just click on Connect. Thanks for being a part of some difficult but important conversations today, friends. From the bottom of our hearts, we love you. We'll see you tomorrow. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook-Chivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Durlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis Settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com. 